All right, um, let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your great love for us. Thank You, Father, that You have been so patient with us. Father, You've always believed the best about us. And Father, I thank You tonight that this is just another step in our journey. Lord, for those that this is their first time to attend these, these classes, and to others, Lord, who've been through them several times, Father, I thank You that every year You, you do new things in people's hearts. And Lord, we just thank You for the great potential that this evening holds, but our time together, Lord, week in and week out, Lord, we just know that um, showing up and giving You an opportunity to work in our lives um, is so important. And so, Father, thank You for every person that's in this room, every person that's watching uh, live, every person that will listen or watch uh, this class recorded later. I thank You for Your Holy Spirit upon them. I thank You, Father, tonight for giving us that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of You. I thank You, Father, for helping us bring our hearts to attention. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. We thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Alright, if you have your Bibles tonight, open them with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. And we'll look at verse, uh, I'll tell you what, chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse number 24. Acts chapter 20, verse number 24. Amen. And as you turn there, let me just say again, thank you so much for your presence in this room. Um, you have no idea how encouraging it, it is for me uh, to see men and women hungry uh, to know the Word of God, to know the truth, um, hungry to uh, become more equipped uh, to fulfill their purpose and, and fulfill their destiny in life. And um, let me go ahead and say from the very beginning um, that I might be the servant leader here, but I am not the teacher. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Jesus said He would lead us and guide us into all truth. And that's why we welcome Him and His presence in this room. As born-again men and women, He already resides within us. But I believe tonight that He is among us and that He is also upon us. Amen. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. Amen. The Bible says that all Scripture was given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. We'll look at some of those verses at a later date. And, and so, the fact that you have the One who wrote the Scriptures living in you and moving among us tonight, amen, creates an opportunity for Him to really help us connect the truth in a way that will be uh, meaningful and impactful in our lives. Now, there's a lot of things my heart is full, um, but let me explain. We, we call this class, uh, you know, an abbreviated title, Discipleship Class, but the official title, and we're holding true to this, is Discipleship Counselor Training Class. And the reason for that is, is this, okay? These classes aren't just taught to help you. They're taught from the perspective of equipping you to help other people. Alright? So, obviously, we're going to be helped. We're going to get some things out of this. The Holy Spirit's going to show us some things that are going to be beneficial uh, in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own families. But the, the real purpose here is for us to take that next step uh, into being equipped so that we can be more effective in what we've been called to do, what God has put us on this earth to do. Amen? So that may be a little confusing as we first begin tonight, but as we move along, I'll, I'll point out more clearly, I guess, what we mean by that. But it is Discipleship Counselor Training Class. Alright, so 
Let's just dig in here. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and this is what he says. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. All right? Now, what the Apostle Paul is talking about, of course, is he faced many uh, different obstacles uh, in life and ministry, a lot of opposition, a lot of persecution. Uh, there, were, there were groups of people constantly trying to, to hurt him, and they did hurt him. Uh, at one point, they even killed him, and God raised him from the dead. And, and he makes this statement that all the different challenges that he faced in life, that those things were not going to move him away from two primary things. And that's what he calls his race. The King James Version, I think, uses the word course. And then the next word we see, and the ministry. So the two words that I want to point out to you here is this word race and this word ministry. And I want you to think of Paul's race as being his personal life or his personal walk with the Lord. And then the ministry, um, what he did to serve God and others as being an extension of his personal walk. Amen. So he said he was going to finish his race and he was going to finish the ministry. Every person in this room has both a race to run and a ministry to fulfill. In other words, every person in this room has been called into personal fellowship with our Creator Father. And the blood of Jesus has made that personal fellowship with Him possible. But we also see that our Creator Father, who loves us so much, created you and me for a purpose. And every individual in this room, every individual listening to me right now, you have a God-assigned, God-given purpose and destiny to fulfill on planet Earth. Now what I've learned from years in my own life, but also having the privilege of working with a lot, a lot of people over those years, is that all effective ministry comes from our personal walk with the Lord. In other words, we've got to walk with Him and know Him if we're going to be able to help other people walk with Him and know Him. And so, when we talk about discipleship class and, and what that is, it is the combination of these two things. How to walk closely with the Lord so that we can hear from Him and effectively represent Him, or let me say it another way, not present Him, but represent Him, represent Him to the world. Alright? Now, Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 9. Now, one of the challenges that we deal with here in discipleship class, amen, is we're going to look at a lot of verses, and sometimes it, it takes a while to look up those verses. So sometimes I'll say, hey, let's look that up, and if you want to look it up, you can look it up. Other times we'll kind of rapid fire, and we'll just go from verse to verse to verse to verse, for those of you who are taking notes, and I do highly encourage you to take notes, and we are, by the way, recording these verses. They're available through podcast, uh, these verses. We're re recording these classes. They're available through uh, the, uh, the church podcast. They're on my Facebook page, uh, videoed. They're on the Vimeo page. Uh, and you can even ask for a CD uh, if, if you prefer uh, to go old school and, and listen to it in that way, all right? Um, and so we make that available. It's free. 
Amen. All those downloads are free, and even if you want a, a hard copy of it, it's free. And we do that because, again, we're, we're going to cover a, a lot of ground. Um, sometimes when we're in other class settings, um, we have to go a little slower. Um, but this is a more advanced class. Amen. And uh, you say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I'm more advanced. Yes, you are. Amen. You just hold on for the ride. Amen. We're, we're going together. Praise God. Um, so, 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse number 9, it says this, Who has saved us, speaking of our, our Father God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So He saved you, and He's called you with a holy calling. And your salvation and your calling, it's not according to your works. Let me, let me kind of help you understand what that means, not according to your works. It's not according to anything that you've deserved or anything that you've earned. See, a lot of times we, we look at what God's purposes are for our life and we think, man, there's no way I could ever live up to that. There's no way that, that, that I could ever be good enough or do enough to earn or deserve that. Well, good news, it's not about what you can earn or deserve, but it's about what He has decided to give to you. So He saved you and He's called you with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. Now, don't let this you know, fry any circuits in the brain, but notice what he's saying here, that you were given purpose and you were given grace in Christ Jesus before time began. Let me try to say that another way. Are you ready? Before I ever made a mistake, he had already given me grace and purpose. Before I was ever alive to commit a sin, he had already decided who I was going to be and what I was going to do and what he was going to give to me. Psalm 139, we could turn there. If you're taking notes, write that down. Read it later. The Bible says that God wrote every day of your life down in a book before you ever lived a single one of them. Now, some people I tell that too, and it requires a little explanation because they look back on some of the miserable low points in their life and they're like, man, I wish God had wrote something different for that day. He did, right? The Bible also says that each one of us have gone our own way. In other words, we, you know, Father has written this life story for us. It's a beautiful story, but we decided to make it up as we go along and veer off without Him and do our own thing. And so He's bringing us back into alignment with the story that He wrote for our lives before we were ever formed in our mother's womb. Before you ever lived a single day of your life. Now that's good news right there because this means that Father God made His mind up concerning some things about your life before you were ever alive to have a say-so. Now if that makes you nervous, you've got to remember what a good, good Father He is. And the story that He's written has a beautiful ending. Amen. By the way, you come out on top. You're the victor. You're the winner in the story that our Heavenly Father wrote for you before there ever was a you living and breathing on planet Earth. So He gave you purpose and grace before time began, and He gave that to you in Christ Jesus. You know, I believe every human being has this innate, inherent sense of purpose. Often people will have a close brush with death and you'll hear them say something to the effect of there must be a reason for me to still be here. Well, guess what? They're exactly right. There is a reason for every single one of us 
to be here, and your enemy, the enemy of your soul, Satan himself, is absolutely terrified of you finding out who you are, finding out what belongs to you because of who you are, and discovering your true purpose in Christ Jesus. But notice, he didn't just give you a purpose. He gave you what? Purpose and grace. Meaning, there's nothing he has purposed for your life that he hasn't already given you the ability and the wherewithal to carry it out. Amen. Amen. Now, this first section, and we, we will move through several sections over the course of the next 36 classes. Sometimes I talk about 36 classes at the beginning, and other times I don't because I don't want you to be overwhelmed. Some of you are like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it through one class. Yes, you're going to make it through one class. All right? Let's take care of just a little bit of housekeeping now that we're rolling because for the first time last year, we actually had people who completed the class by watching it online. Okay, so that was a, a milestone. So what we have is 36 classes. In order to receive a completion certificate, um, you have to attend 30 of those classes, either here in person or, um, or, or watching it online, what have you. Now, inevitably, with a group this size, there's going to be questions like, well, what about this? And I know we had some ladies at the foundry that were almost in tears this morning because they had to finish something they already started, so they had to miss the first class. Again, there's lots of grace here, lots of grace here. Um, but again, 30 out of 36, I think that's very generous. Amen. And, um, but anyway, praise God. When we talk about these next 36 classes, we're going to move through sections. And there's several sections, and those sections are going to add to and build upon one another. And, and we're going we're gonna to grow up into Jesus in some things, and we're going to grow up in our understanding of some things, and, and it's going to be life-changing. I don't tell you that because of myself. I tell you that because the Bible says that as your mind is renewed, your life is transformed. And so the Holy Spirit is going to help us with the Word of God renew our minds and transform our lives, amen, during our time together over the course of the next 35-plus weeks together, amen. Now, this first section is just simply what I call an overview of discipleship. An overview of discipleship. I'm trying to, to help you better wrap your heart and mind around what discipleship is, why it's important, and why it's something that we need to not only commit ourselves to, but something that we need to study. All right? So what is discipleship? Now, praise God, I, have, um, I am missing a verse somewhere, but that's all right. Turn with me, here it is, to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. You should be right there, uh, close by, in the neighborhood. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. And this God who has saved us and given us grace and purpose in Christ Jesus before time began, here we see another desire that's in his heart for us expressed. And this is what he says. He desires all men, and that includes men with a womb, womb men, women, so he's not leaving you out, ladies, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who desires all men 
to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I want you to pay very close attention to how this passage of Scripture is worded. Because for many years of my life, I thought getting saved meant coming to the knowledge of the truth. Or let me say it another way. I had this exactly backwards. I thought it went like this. A man or a woman comes to the knowledge of the truth and they get saved. Well, obviously, we had to hear some truth in order to receive Jesus and be born again. Anybody besides me thankful that somebody shared that truth with us? Amen. So, absolutely there is truth, but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying that his desires are for us to be saved, and then once we're saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. There are a lot of born-again people on planet Earth who, again, they're saved. If they were to die tonight, that classic altar call in our Southern Baptist upbringing, right? If they were to die tonight, they would go to heaven. They've been saved, but they have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth. So when we start answering this question, what is discipleship? What is discipleship? The first thing I want you to understand about discipleship is that discipleship is our Creator Father's way of bringing us to the knowledge of the truth. Discipleship is how our Creator Father brings you and me to the knowledge of the truth. Let me give you another passage. John chapter 8, verse 31. I hope you're familiar with this verse already. Um, we will refer to this verse early and often. But John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus um, speaking, it says this, Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed Him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He goes on to say, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Right? So, notice that discipleship and abiding in the word of God, continuing in the word of God, is one of the key ways that our Heavenly Father brings us to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible says that Jesus came to this earth full of grace and truth. Okay? The Bible goes on to say in John chapter 1 that the law came through Moses. That's talking about those Ten Commandments in stone. But something new came to the earth with Jesus. And that is grace and truth came through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't know this already, now I would imagine a lot of you do, but if you don't know this already, it's God's grace that has brought us salvation. We've been saved by grace. It's not anything we deserve. Grace means an unearned or undeserved favor or blessing or gift. It's nothing we've done to deserve it. It's an absolute free gift that has been given to us. Anybody in here thankful, amen, for God's grace? But notice it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. You see, there are a lot of born-again people living in addiction today because they've received grace but they have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth. Got kind of quiet right there. But that's, that's, the, that's, that's absolutely true. Amen. So when we talk about what is discipleship, discipleship is, is the means that Father has established to bring you and me to the knowledge of the truth. That's number one. Number two, discipleship is an uncommon commitment. Discipleship is... An uncommon 
commitment. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll look at a few verses there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Amen. Alright, so there will be times when we're together we will plow. And there are times when we will flow. And we're moving out of that plowing into that flowing. Amen. Yes, sister. Number one, discipleship is the means by which Father brings us to the knowledge of the truth. Discipleship is all about us learning truth and coming to the knowledge of the truth. So, great question. Thank you. Um, need to repeat those things. Praise God. So, number one is how He brings us. Discipleship is how our Creator Father brings us to the knowledge of the truth. Amen? Truth. Listen to me, please. Truth built into your life is, is part of an intentional act on your part. You can't do it without God, just like you can't do anything without Him. But you will never come to the knowledge of the truth without your Heavenly Father, nor will you ever come to the knowledge of the truth without some kind of effort on your part. This is what Jesus was saying to those folks. And we're going to come back to them here in just a few minutes and, and talk about those individuals in John the 8th chapter. All right? But, but what, what we see, of course, is these folks were initially attracted to Jesus because they saw Him do things that they had never seen another human being do. And they were giving Jesus credit for being a really stand-up guy. They were giving Jesus credit for taking up for a woman who was being publicly humiliated by the religious establishment, right? And so Jesus saw a crack in the door. And Jesus says to those people, right, hey, listen, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Right? And they looked at him like he was crazy. They were not interested they were not interested in following through with any kind of effort or sacrifice on their part or any kind of commitment on their part, amen, to actually come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. Now, your Heavenly Father is here to help you by way of His Holy Word, Jesus, and by way of the Holy Spirit, but we must engage Him. Are you following what I'm saying? And so, this is one of the reasons I get so excited about this many people in a room wanting to engage the Holy Spirit's efforts to lead you and guide you into the truth that Father God has for you. This is what gets me so excited when I see this many men and women, and I don't know how many is watching online right now, right? But are willing to take some time out of their afternoon on a Wednesday, right? That they would maybe not normally take out of their busy schedules to, to come and, 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 and be a part of a very intensive, um, you know, uh, wide open, if you will, study of God's Word. Amen. So, again, it took some effort for you to be here tonight. There are all kinds of folks told me they were going to be here tonight. They'll be here next week. We just believe it, right? I'm not going to speak any kind of negativity or doubt, right? But it requires some effort on our part. Amen. And so when we talk about discipleship, and coming to the knowledge of the truth. Discipleship is, is the key way that Father brings us to the knowledge of the truth, but we also see that discipleship is an uncommon commitment. It's, it's something that, that involves effort on our part. Alright, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's begin at verse uh, number 24, and I'll put it up on the screen. It says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. 
Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, the Apostle Paul, in his writings, used different types of of examples, uh, different things that, like for instance, if you've ever studied, anybody in here familiar with the armor of God that we find in Ephesians, the sixth chapter? Well, clearly, um, he was looking at the armor that was worn by a Roman soldier, more than likely a Roman soldier that was guarding him chained to the prison floor, right? And, and he, through that, you know, looking at that armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the loins girt about with truth, the sword of the Spirit, right? Looking at that, the, the Lord showed him a, a, a parallel, if you will, of, of, the, of what we have available to us in a spiritual sense. Now, another thing that was really big in Paul's day, and, and it's equally big in our day as well, and that was athletics. Um, and we see that th- there were folks that, that you know, would make these uncommon commitments to compete at a world-class level. We see this in our country. We hear of, of little girls, for instance, that, that maybe go hundreds of miles away from their parents to some U.S. Olympic training center because they have such promise uh, as a gymnast. And and so again, they they make an uncommon commitment. And this is what the Apostle Paul was looking at when when he um, was considering what people do, physically do, naturally do, um, to compete for a trophy or for a gold medal or for some some kind of uh, public recognition. And, and how devoted they are, how committed they are to try to win that prize, to try to win that crown. And so this is what he's saying. He said, look, um, you know, when we consider this athletic commitment and, and, and this determination that these folks have made, how much more should we be committed to run the race that's before us? How much more should we be going after the things of God disciplining ourselves. Anybody put disciple and disciplining together yet? Amen? Do you see how those two are of the, of the same root word? Right? And so he says that a, 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 an athlete is temperate in all things. This means disciplined. Are you ready? It also means keeping or held within limits. Keeping or held within limits. Now, I want you to... Uh, Pay very close attention to this next section because I'm not here to confuse you. I'm here to help you, okay? Um, And one of the things that we're going to do throughout our time together is we're going to make sure we define some terminology, okay? In other words, what does the word mean? Words are containers and they contain within themselves a meaning. Words are used to convey meaning, right? Now, there's a lot of division in the body of Christ today. And a lot of that division is over stupidity. A lot of that division is over a lot of different things. Okay, Competition, rivalry, what have you. But there's also a lot of division in the body of Christ today because one group means one thing by a word in the Bible and another group means something entirely different by that same word. 
Now, I'm not trying to, again, if you weren't raised in church or denominational religion, those kinds of things, this may not really register with you the way it will register with others that are, that are in the class you know, this evening. So, for instance, the word sanctification. Man, there, there are whole denominations that, are, that have divided over what they believe that, that word means. Okay, So, this is why I'm going to take the time when I use a word, I'm going to take the time, again, a really important word that could potentially be misunderstood, I'm going to tell you what I mean by that word. Okay? So, I'm going to give you a list of words that could have multiple meanings. And, and so, you understand context? You understand context? Are y'all with me tonight? Everybody good? Okay. Um, so, a lot of times, the only way you can really understand what a word means is if you understand the context that it's being used in in that verse. So, for instance, the first word that I'm going to put on the screen tonight is, is the word believer. Alright? Now, listen to me, please. I'm a believer. And I, I take it for granted that you are believers. Okay? So, thank God we are believers. But we also see this word believer was used in different ways in the Bible. And in this first context, John chapter 2, John chapter 2, um, we're going to... Go ahead and turn there. Okay, Holy Spirit, that's right. Let, let's do this. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 2, verse 23. Get a little bit ahead of myself. John chapter 2, verse 23. All right, when you get there, I'll, uh, I'll move forward. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your love. Amen. So let me, now that you're there, just hold tight right there. Let me give you four words, and then I'm gonna, we're going to look at some different verses to give you the context so you'll understand what I'm saying, okay? So the first word is the word believer, all right? The next word is the word follower. Follower. Now, if you were to ask me, generally speaking, Pastor Mark, are you a follower of Christ? I would tell you, absolutely, I am a follower. Okay? Am I a believer? Yes, I'm a believer. Am I a believer? I'm a, I'm a believer. Am I a follower? I'm a follower. Okay? The next word is, is this word disciple. And so again, if you were to ask me, Pastor Mark, are you a disciple? If I was to ask you, are, are you a disciple of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I would dare say most people in this room would say yes. I would dare say most born-again people who have some level of understanding of the Scriptures would say yes, I'm a believer. Yes, I'm a follower. Yes, I'm a disciple. Okay? And then the fourth word is this word Christian. Christian. Okay? So we have believer, follower, disciple, and Christian. Now, we see these words in the Scriptures. And we see these words used in different ways. What I'm wanting to draw your attention to tonight is to see how Jesus used these words to designate different levels of commitment to Him and what His purposes were for individual men's and women's lives. Okay? Again, this is really important. So I, I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. By no means am I trying to tell you it's wrong to be a believer or it's wrong to be a follower or a disciple or a Christian. But listen to me. These words are not necessarily interchangeable. Do you understand a synonym? A synonym is like, you know, two different words that mean the same thing. These words do not necessarily mean the same things. Are you with me? Matter of fact, let me just give you an example of this. You do realize 
that at least on some level, the Bible says the devil is a believer. That he believes in God and he trembles. Alright? So, but he ain't born again. And he's certainly not having God's best in his life. Okay. So, John chapter 2 and verse 23 and 25. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit Himself to them because He knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for He knew what was in man. Alright? So now notice we have a group of people who had witnessed Jesus performing miracles and those miracles amazed them. Those, those miracles impressed them. And, and we see that there was some level of belief in Jesus, as the Scriptures say, that when they saw the signs which He did, many believed in His name. Alright? But Jesus did not commit Himself to them. Now, this almost sounds like out of character for Jesus, right? I mean, especially, let's, let's think about it for a moment now. Jesus is just beginning His earthly ministry. Jesus is just getting everything rolling, Okay? And so, this is one of the first miracles that He's performed on planet Earth as a man. And now He's got some folks interested. And you know, I mean, you think Jesus would start putting them on the mailing list? You know, getting their uh, personal information? You know, maybe putting them in this contact list, in his cell phone, what have you? And and, and maybe trying to recruit them. uh, Because after all, I mean, Jesus is going to need some help. He's going to need some... Some, some followers and some, and some people to get on board with what He's here for. But notice, this first wave of people, the Bible says that believed in Him, Jesus did not commit Himself to them because He knew what was in them. Let me say it another way. He knew that they did not have the level of commitment necessary, right, to stick it out to the end with Him. And so because of this, Jesus moved on. Now, Let me help you if this is bothering you a little bit because, you know, how dare Jesus be so rude and inconsiderate. He's not being rude and inconsiderate here. What you have to understand is Jesus was born of a virgin but could not begin His earthly ministry under the law until He turned 30 years old. Now, at 30, right... This is when Jesus is baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. He begins His earthly ministry. He begins to perform miracles. He begins to do these signs and wonders, right? And, but listen, He has three years. Three years. So this is how I want you to understand this. Jesus did not commit Himself to these men because He, was, he had a three-year clock ticking in the back of His mind. Amen? But see, now He's not on the clock anymore. We are. We are. <laughs> you, you, you follow what I mean by that? Uh, in other words, we can get serious about our commitment to Him now, or we can wait five more years if we want to. I mean, it's going to cost us. We're going to miss out on some things. But He's just right there loving us, patient with us, as, as He's ever been. Because again, it's not His clock now, it's our clock um, that's ticking. Amen or me? Alright. So again, it says that they, that they believed in Him, but what this word really means is sometimes when I um, look at me for a minute, sometimes when I use this word believed or believer, I do this. The, the dittos, right, on both sides of it. Bracketed in dittos. Because, again, this doesn't mean, and you've got to realize this now, not everybody who the Bible says believed in Jesus, that doesn't mean they invested saving faith in Him. 
right? Now, go with me um, to John the 6th chapter. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And, and in the 6th chapter, I'll tell you what, for sake of time, I'm not, I don't want to try to read every one of these verses. Let me, let me, if I could, just give you an overview. Is that alright? John the 6th chapter, um, we see Jesus uh, performing a great miracle. He fed a multitude with a little boy's lunch. But, um, but we also see that Jesus uh, gives this sermon, um, and in the sermon He says that unless you eat His flesh and drink His blood, unless you eat His flesh and drink His blood, you cannot be a part of Him. Now, to understand this, right, you have to understand something called blood covenant. And we live in a day and age of contracts, right? We don't necessarily live in, in a day of covenants. And so anytime there's covenant terminology used, right, we, we need some help understanding it. So when we talk about covenant, right, we're talking about one of the most in-depth and serious uh, levels of commitment that two individuals could ever make with one another. For instance... One of the most beautiful examples of covenant still alive and well on planet earth today is a marriage covenant. Alright? That, that is a covenant. It's not a form of covenant. It is a covenant. Alright? Now, in, in Bible times, in Bible days, and not necessarily people who knew God and followed God, men would enter into, families would enter into covenants with one another. And what they were basically saying is, I've got your back, and you've got mine. And it was a very formal ceremony that they entered into. They would always uh, slaughter an animal. That's why it was referred to as a blood covenant. If a as a kid, if you ever you know, entered into you know, cut your finger, and blood brothers, what have you, you know, playing those kinds of games, that's remnants of this from the Scriptures. Are you still with me? Alright? So, when two people would enter into covenant with one another, they would go through this very formal ceremony and they would make pledges to one another in an effort to express the gravity of the consequences if one of them were to break that covenant. Cross my heart, hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Anybody? Right? Okay. Why do we say that as kids, right? Cross my heart, hope, die, stick a new loom in my eye, right? What in the world? Because we're saying, hey, I'm serious about this. And, and, and I, I'm putting my life on the line here to let you know how serious I am about this covenant and what I'm willing to do before I ever break this covenant. So you can stick straight needles in my eyeballs and I'm not going to break the covenant. If it means my death, I'm not going to break my word. I'm not going to break the covenant. Are you following me? See, God entered into a covenant with a man named Abraham. And if you've ever read about it, it's fascinating in, in, in the Scriptures where he took those animals and he split them half in two and he dug this little trough in the dirt and he laid the halves of those animals on either side of, the, of that little trough and all the blood of those animals ran down into that trough and it literally created a pathway of bloody mud. And so the idea when these covenants were entered into, people would walk back and forth 
in between those slaughtered animals and they would say things like, may it be done to me what's been done to these animals if I should ever break this covenant. Are you following me? But if you understand what happened at the last minute, the Bible says darkness fell on Abraham and he went into a deep sleep and the Son of God Himself came and walked between the sacrifices that had been slaughtered that day, right? So that He became Abraham's covenant representative. In other words, Abraham had a covenant with God, but Jesus came and represented Abraham in making that covenant with God. This is why Abraham's children broke the covenant, but Abraham's children didn't die because they broke the covenant, but Jesus is the one who paid the price for the covenant being broken. Are you with me? Now the other thing you need to understand about covenant is this. If two brothers enter into, let's say Michael and I enter into a covenant with one another, one of the understood rules of covenant is that anything I ask of him as my covenant brother, I'm obligating myself to do for him in the future. Let's say I'm without transportation. Something happens to my, my truck or what have you. And I, and I say to him as my covenant brother, Michael, man, I noticed you, know, you got a couple rides out there and I really like that new truck. As I, I'm asking you for it as my covenant brother. Well, as my covenant brother, as he hands those keys over to me, I've just obligated myself at any point in the future that he says, hey, I need this from you. I need something similar from you, right, to do that. Now, if you understand that, you have a better understanding of why God asked Abraham to put wood on the back of his 30-year-old son, take him up on top of a hill, and offer him as a sacrifice before him. Amen. And of course, we know that God stopped him right before he plunged the knife into his chest. But because Father God required of his covenant brother to offer his son, right, now God is obligating himself by covenant to one day offer Jesus for our sins as a sacrifice. Are you seeing this, right? Now, these things, again, some of you may have never heard anything like this in your life. All of this stuff is in the Word of God, we could spend, and we'll talk more about it in, the, in, in, in some days ahead, some classes ahead, when we talk more in depth about covenants. But one of the things that they would have or should have understood, and I know this, again, it's, it's, it's strong, it was really strong for people who understood it. When Jesus is talking about eating His flesh and drinking His blood, one of the things that they would say when they entered into covenant with one another is, are you ready? Again, something extreme. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I would have said something like this to Michael when we entered into covenant with one another. I'd have looked him in the eye and I'd say, you're my covenant brother. And if I have to kill one of my children and feed them to your children to keep your children alive, sir, I'll do that for you. Again, they're trying to express the gravity of what they're doing. You follow me, right? Of course, nobody that we ever have record of did that. But notice now, again, Jesus is here to make a new covenant. Is anybody with me tonight? Jesus is here to cut a new covenant with His own blood, an eternal covenant, amen, for you and for me as our covenant representatives. And so He says to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, I am finally a son that the Father has given for your benefit. I'm giving my life for this covenant so that you can have life. Now this upset the people. They didn't like this talk. It grossed them out. And the Bible says this, are you ready? That many left Him and followed Him no more. 
They didn't follow him anymore. They were followers, right? We had it up there a moment ago. It's gone now, right? They were followers, but they did not follow him anymore. As a matter of fact, this is when Jesus turns. It's one of my favorite parts. We'll come back to this at a later date, but let me give it to you now. It's just in my, it's in my heart right now. Amen. He turns to his own disciples and he says, are you going to leave me also? And Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. One translation says, Jesus, when you speak, something comes alive on the inside of me. But here's the amazing thing. Are you ready? It's the difference between a believer, one who has some interest, one who gives mental assent, one who follows Jesus, goes out into the wilderness to hear something he has to say. Here's the difference between that and a disciple. A disciple says, I don't know what that sermon means, but I'm not going anywhere because nobody knows what you know and I'm going to receive it from you if I'm going to ever receive it from anybody. Where are we going to go, Jesus? Only you know what we need to know and understand. All right? Now then, the third one is disciple. So we have believer with the dittos. We've got the follower. Let's, let's, let's make sure we understand this now. A believer's like, wow, Jesus, that was cool. And Jesus is like, well, I'll tell you what, you know, tomorrow... I'm going to be about six miles out of town teaching on the kingdom. <laughs> you know, well, see, they weren't interested in that. They were just like, thought he was pretty cool. Amen? Now, a follower is going to go a little, a little further. A follower is going to, you know, take some steps to go and maybe hear more. And, but, but notice now on this day, their commitment went beyond what they were able to understand or what they thought was, are you ready? What they thought was reasonable. What they thought was reasonable. It's sad to me how many people have left these classes and how many people have left Heritage over the years because they say there's no way God can be that good. That's a true story. That's a true story. It was beyond what they thought was reasonable. You do understand there's a reason why we call it amazing grace, right? I think a lot of folks in the body of Christ ought to change it to rational grace because as soon as it gets beyond something they, they think you know, is, is right, they, they drop out of it, right? All right, so disciple. John chapter 8 and verse number 30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him. Are you ready what they said? They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Just curious, how many of you in here have, have ever heard, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free? Lots of folks in here, I, I would think maybe those of you who didn't raise your hand have heard it, just whatever, focused, writing, taking notes, what have you. We've heard that verse, and while it is a, an extremely important verse and an extremely powerful verse, we see that within that truth of that verse, Jesus is extending an invitation to another group of people who believed in Him, right? He's asking them to take their commitment one step further. He's asking them to, to go from being impressed by Him 
to actually taking a next step to continue in His Word, to abide in His Word, and to become His disciples indeed. So let me just, again, if we're, if we're trying to wrap our minds around what discipleship really is, one of the things I think we have to acknowledge is that a disciple is someone who continues in the Word of God. Right? He says, if you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. That word abide could also be translated continue. If you continue in My Word. Don't raise your hand, but I guarantee you, and I've been guilty of it myself, in my lifetime, we look back over our lives, there have been times where we were maybe on fire for the Lord, but we did not continue in His Word. Right? We, we were a part of it, but we stopped. We pulled back. Or we could even say, and this is a biblical word, we backslid. Okay? So the idea then, if we're going to be a disciple, it's going to require us continuing in the Word. If you abide. Notice that word, if. That means there's a choice here for them to make, and there's a choice here for me and you to make. But the same is true. If I abide in His Word, I'm His disciple indeed. If you abide in His Word, you're His disciple indeed. And as His disciple, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this and, and, and I'll get into it in greater detail in the days ahead, but I just want to introduce this to you as well. The Bible is very clear that it requires a level of commitment and priority on our part in order for the Word of God to make sense to us. It's, it's, listen, you, you probably already figured this out by now. You know, you, you read the Bible and it's like, man, I don't know what's going on here. It's because it's, it's written in spiritual code. I don't, I don't mean that like to discourage you or whatever. I'm just telling you, the Bible says it's spiritually discerned. You don't read the Bible like you read other books. Somebody said, Pastor Mark, I don't understand the Bible. Well, I got good news for you. The Bible understands you. And it's the only book you'll ever read that'll read you back. It'll read you back. Amen. But there is a certain level of commitment that is required from us if we're ever going to know the truth. If we're ever going to know the truth. That's why discipleship is the means by which we come to the knowledge of the truth. And discipleship, among other things, is an uncommon commitment. Alright, now, let's go to Acts chapter 11. You get anything out of this so far? Acts chapter 11, praise God. And let's look at verse 19. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 19. It says this, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the Word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching 
the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now let's put the brakes on here, because we just covered a whole lot of early church history. Let me try to sum it up for you in just a few minutes. If you are familiar with Stephen, Stephen was a deacon in the beginning days of the church, and he was full of wisdom and full of the Spirit of God, and, and he wasn't one of those deacons that, you know, um, and when I was growing up, I remember the deacons that gave us juicy fruit gum. Come on, anybody? Gave us juicy fruit gum, and I remember the deacons, right, that were just always on us, you know, waiting for us to mess up so they could fuss at us, right? De- Stephen would have had the juicy fruit gum, but he had also been praying in tongues at the same time he was giving it to you, right? Full of the Spirit of God. And Stephen was the first martyr, meaning he was the first uh, Christian who was stoned to death because of his faith. Now, when that happened, the church was you know, kind of concentrated in one area. And so when, when all that began to happen, people tended to scatter. If you know anything about putting out an oil fire, you do not want to try to throw water on it, right? Because if you throw water on a grease fire, you're just going to spread it. And so in, in the religious establishment's effort to try to throw water on the early church, right, all they did was scatter them. Now if you notice up until this point, the Bible says they had only preached salvation to Jewish men and women only. There's no one outside of the Jewish nationality. And there's a lot of reasons for this, but... but but one was that they believed it, it, in spite of what Jesus told them to do, they believed that you know, those folks were dogs. They didn't believe them to be human. And so when it speaks of a Hellenist, anybody know what a Hellenist is? That's a Greek man or a woman. It's a, it's a non-Jewish man or a woman. And we see that some of the people from Cyprus and Cyrene who when they came to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist, preaching the Lord Jesus. hand of the Lord was with them. Guess what? A great number of these Greek people, non-Jewish people, get saved. Well, man, they're like, oh, I don't know about this, right? So they sent word to headquarters, and headquarters sent Barnabas to go check it out. Verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He's speaking of Barnabas. A good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So notice what's happening here, man. It's, it's an outbreak, right? You've got these folks who have, have been scattered because of, of Stephen being ex- martyred and killed, murdered. And now they're talking to Greek folks who like, man, I want in on this, and all these Greek folks start getting saved, and they're like, man, we're not even sure Greek people can get saved. So they send for Barnabas. Barnabas comes from headquarters. Barnabas sees, yes, indeed, man, these folks are getting saved. He was happy about it, right? And, and he encouraged them. Notice what he encouraged them to do. He encouraged them with purpose of heart that they should do what? They should continue. With purpose of heart, they should continue. And notice, he was a good man full of Holy Spirit and faith. And what happens? Now even more people 
are getting born again. Even more people are getting saved. Alright? Now, let me, let me stop right here before we go any further. If you underline things in your Bible, I want you to underline that with great purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. With great purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. Alright? Think about what that's saying right there. Great purpose of heart. I don't know when's the last time you've purposed in your heart to do something. We sing a song here at Heritage that goes something like this. If ever I'm determined to do something right. Right? This idea of great purpose of heart. This, this is one of those, um, I think, overlooked aspects of discipleship. So many times in, in our walk with the Lord, we have this tendency to get caught up in the moment. Am I the only one? We get caught up in the moment. man. We get around godly people. We get in the presence of God. God's Spirit starts moving among us and we start experiencing things. We, we start understanding some things. We get free from some things. Uh, Father begins to bless us in, 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 in ways that we recognize. And man, it's like, woohoo, man, this is wonderful. And it is wonderful. I am not making light of that, okay? But my friend, that alone, as important as it is, is not discipleship. Discipleship is a response to Father God working in your life when you say with great purpose of heart, I'm going to continue to go after Him. I'm going to continue to go after His truth. I'm going to continue to go after and lay hold of everything that He has for me. Right? So they made up their minds. This was a deliberate, intentional choice that they made. This was something that they deliberately made a priority in their life. Great purpose of heart speaks of an uncommon commitment. Making something a priority that wasn't previously a priority. Putting things first that weren't first before in your life, but they're first now. So this is what he says. He says, listen, I'm so thankful to see what God is doing among you. Let me encourage you now as baby Christians. Folks, just been born again maybe just a few days, a few weeks. Let me tell you now, let me encourage you, let me build you up now that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. Verse 25, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Another, we could say, heavy hitter in the church, right? And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians. They were first called Christians, Christians in Antioch. Alright? Now, a few things I want to point out here. I don't exactly understand what it is, but there is something about a 12-month period of time in our lives. I think you probably got it, but I want to make sure you see it. Folks fleeing out into the countrysides, out into other places, 
because of what happened to Stephen. They tell some Greek folks about Jesus and a bunch of them get born again. Barnabas goes to check it out, encourages them to continue with the Lord. More people get saved. Barnabas is like, man, these people need some help. Keep it, I mean, keep in mind, all these folks, they don't know anything about, they weren't raised in Judaism. They don't know the Old Testament. All, all this is new to them. So Barnabas says, guys, I'll be back. And he goes to find, we call him Paul now, Saul, brings him back, Paul and Barnabas, for approximately one year, pour the truth of God into these men and women who made a commitment to continue with the Lord. And at the end of that one year, people begin to say that these Greeks were talking and acting just like Christ. That they were Christ-like. That they were Christians. And for the record, it was not meant to be flattering. It was not meant to be a compliment. They were called Christians, right? Remember, this is the Christ that as far as the wall was concerned was a, was a nut job that was executed by the Romans. But now, these folks who weren't raised in church, they didn't know anything about Judaism. They didn't know anything about the Old Testament or God or anything like that. They just met Jesus because somebody told them about Him. And now somebody who knew how to rightly divide and skillfully apply the Word of God comes to them. They commit, right? Notice now, um, uh, it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Now if you understand something about their day, they didn't have church once a week or even twice a week. They met from house to house every day. So for every day, Basically, for a year, these people committed themselves to continue with the Lord. And at the end of that year, some, uh, an amazing transformation had taken place in their lives to the point that outsiders were commenting on how much like Jesus they had become. Sign me up. Sign me up. Right? Now, what's the point of all this? The point of all this is every disciple is a Christian. But not everyone who calls themselves themselves a Christian is a disciple. Now I don't I don't I don't mean that in a in a <laughs> in a derogatory way, right? Every disciple is a Christian, but not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a disciple. Right? What do I mean by that? Well, again, this is using this term Christian kind of loosely, right? Somebody who's been born again. But what we see is that through all of this, these men and women came to the knowledge of the truth. So they were saved. And then through this process called discipleship, they came to the knowledge of the truth and an amazing transformation took place inside of them. Alright, now then. Let me do this. Praise God. I'm going to skip over some stuff because, believe it or not, we're getting low on time. Mm, mm, mm. I'm pausing for a moment here. I'm going to do this faster than I've ever done it before. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Real quick like. 
Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. Somebody needs to hear this. We're going to do this. We're not going to skip it. All right, so we're laying some, we're laying some foundation tonight, okay? We've got to get some things put in place so that we can build on them, right? If we don't get the foundation in place, then anything we try to, try to build without a foundation, it's, it's not going to last. It's not going to stand. Now, I talked about this a little bit in class this morning. I know a lot of you were not there. Some of you were. But the Bible says that in the last days, people will always be learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. What's Father's desire for us? That we be saved, all men be saved, and come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's a lot of people who've been saved, but they're not coming to the knowledge of the truth. And there are a lot of people who've been learning for a long time, but have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth. Hebrews chapter 5 speaks of people who've been in church long enough to be teachers themselves, but they still need somebody to go back and put a bottle of God's uh, milk word in their mouths. They, they're like babies when they should be full-grown adults. I do not want that to be true of you and me any longer. Amen. But one of the things that the Bible talks about is a willingness on our part to endure sound doctrine. Now, I'm not, listen, please, I don't know what you thought discipleship class was going to be, all right? Every one of these classes you'll see as we get three or four of them under our belt, they'll all have a different flavor. I mean, there'll be times where, you know, we're shouting and, and excited and happy and just go out of here, you know, every third step touching the ground. There'll be other times when we are just swinging, a, a, you know, a pickaxe, digging and chopping through some stuff. The Bible talks about you got to dig deep, and so we're going to dig deep, and, and we're going we're gonna to grow, and we're going to learn, right? So when the Bible says that in the last days people will not endure sound doctrine, let's go back to Paul's analogy, his, his illustration, talking about the world-class athlete. I'm sure there's some of you in here back in the day you were world-class athletes in your own minds. Amen. And maybe a few of you in reality, okay? Brother John was talking about showing up first day of track practice last night, right? And how some folks just showed up because they wanted the outfit and to look good in it, get their picture made, right? They weren't there to build their physical endurance. They weren't there to to dig in and do what it was necessary uh, to, to, to grow and, and to succeed and, 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 to, and to be a winner, right? Not trying to offend you if you're not a Nick Saban fan. He still has some pretty cool things to say. And one of the things that he said was, it's not about a will to win. He says, everybody wants to win. It's a will to prepare to win. That's the difference, right? It's, are you, you know, again, everybody wants to throw that, that touchdown pass, in, you know, in the national championship game uh, to, to win the game. It's, are you willing in July, you know, when it's 100 degrees outside, uh, to be building your strength? And in, are you understand what I'm saying? And so when he talks about enduring sound doctrine, th there, there are some things that we will never know, the truth we will never come to, unless we have the endurance established in our lives to, to support that and to lay hold of that truth. Okay? So for some of you, you're being stretched right now. And it's not the most comfortable thing. But years ago, I played racquetball. 
And I played racquetball with um, a guy who was about the same skill level as myself. If, if we played, you know, seven games, he was going to win four, I was going to win three, or vice versa. Pretty much even. Our schedules changed. He started playing with somebody that was much better than him. I started playing with somebody that I could beat six out of seven times. He started playing with somebody that beat him seven out of seven times. And that went on for a couple of months. We had an opportunity to play again. I'm like, how you been doing? He said, I ain't won a game since we played. I mean, he's, you know, and he's thinking, oh, you know, I'm thinking, man, I've been winning them all, man. I'm fixing to take him to school. He beat me six out of seven times, right? Why? It's because he had been playing over his head, right? He, 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 had, he had been exposed uh, to something that was stretching him. And, and without him realizing it, because the scoreboard didn't show it, but without him realizing it, he was growing and he had become much better of a racquetball player. Me, on the other hand, I didn't have to hardly work nearly as hard to beat the guy, that I, my partner, that I was playing with all the time, right? So if anything, my skills had diminished where his had gotten much better. Now, what does it have to do with what we're doing here tonight? Again, this is not, um, this is not 099 uh, level, uh, you know, 10-minute devotion time. We're, we're digging in. Amen. And with purpose of heart, we're going to continue with the Lord. Because if discipleship is about anything, it's about an uncommon commitment. Now, we see this in one of the greatest and most important parables that Jesus ever told us. It's the parable of the sower. Let me read through this very quickly. Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. Jesus says this, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who receives seed, the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures, there's that word again, only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now this is the most important parable Jesus ever taught because He said if we don't understand this parable, we will not be able to understand all the other parables that He taught us. And in this parable, Jesus is talking about a man who plants seed. And the seed that He plants lands in different areas of the field. And those different areas of the field represent different soil conditions. Are you with me still? Now, the parable is about the Word of God being the seed and the attitude of our heart towards that Word determining the condition of the soil that is our heart. If you understand anything about seed and soil, seed can sit on a shelf in a bag for years and years and years and, and never release the potential that's in it to, to make a difference, right? 
But if that seed is put in the soil, that connection enables that seed to release the potential that's within it. Now, in this parable, the seed is the Word of God, which means it's perfect, or we could say incorruptible seed. So if there's different results from that seed, it's not because there was a problem with the seed, it's because there was a problem with the condition of our heart representing the condition of the soil that that seed landed in. Are you still with me? Now we see that first group of people, he said that their, their heart and the soil that was their hearts it, it was wayside. This was where the tractor turned around and the ground was compacted. It was hardened. And when the seed landed on that, it was very easy for a bird to come and take that seed before it ever had a chance to sprout or produce any results. He says these are the people who hear the Word and do not understand it. Right? And because they don't understand the Bible, they don't understand the Word of God, it's very easy for the enemy to come and steal it from them. This is one of the reasons why I repeat things, I say the same thing many different ways. Because one of my primary responsibilities is to, as the Bible says, is to read the verse and make the sense. I want to take very complex things while we're together again over the next 36 weeks. I want to take some very complex things from Scripture and put them on a low enough shelf that anybody in the room with the Holy Spirit's help can walk out of this room with those things in their lives. In other words, it's got to be understood. I've, I've got to present it to you with the Holy Spirit's help, right? In a way that you can understand it. Amen. Are you in faith with me that the Holy Spirit's going to help us do that? Because if we don't understand it, it's going to be very easy for the enemy to come and steal that word from us. The next group of folks were, were people, and notice we're kind of on the perimeter of the field coming inward, right? The next group of folks, there, there was some dirt there, but there was also a lot of rocks and things, and that seed fell there, and, and because of the rocks, it caused that seed to sprout up very quickly, but it never had the opportunity to put down any roots in the soil. So when the pressures of life came, when the sun came up and beat down on that plant, as Jesus said, it caused it to just to, to, to crumble. It caused it to, to fold up. Again, how many times have I seen people over the years get so excited about the Word of God, amen, and what the Word of God can produce in their lives, but they never stay around long enough to put down some roots. Now this third group of people that Jesus is talking about, these are folks who receive the Word of God. The Word of God begin to produce results in their lives. And again, I'm sure, like me, others in this room can relate to this in your own life. I can certainly relate to it in mine. Where that seed was planted, it, it put down roots, yeah, I understood it, it grew up in my life, it began to produce results in my life, and because the devil couldn't steal it, and because he couldn't put enough pressure on me to get me to turn it loose, right? He now is trying to grow other things up in my life around it to choke it out. If we take Mark's version of this, we see it's actually three different things. The deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. Pastor Mark, I can't stay in this program another day. i got to go make me some money. The deceitfulness of riches. Pastor Mark, I ain't got time to come to church. I got to work three jobs. The deceitfulness of riches. The cares of this life. Worries, troubles, cares of this world, anxiety, stress, right? Cares of this life. Mark includes a third one. The desires for other things. 
Every person I've ever seen walk away from their destiny in Father's kingdom has walked away for one of those three reasons. But then there's that fourth group of people. They received the seed on good ground. They heard the word. They understood it. And indeed, they bore fruit and it produced hundredfold, sixty, and some thirty. Let me give you this parable in a nutshell. I believe the first group of people are those who quit before they understood. Okay? Because what is the logical thing to do if you don't understand something that's important and you need to understand it? <laughs> Let's hang around till we can understand it, right? If I don't understand it, I'll give you just a, a real-time example. Um, we've logged on to Facebook Live all these you know, last year, all those classes. We came in here about 3 o'clock, 2.30 today to set it all up, do a test run, audio check, all that stuff, make sure we're ready to roll. And I could not connect to Facebook Live. It kept giving me an error message, right? And here's the thing, I didn't understand. And I looked into it, I did everything I knew to do. I even turned it off and turned it back on. Who remembers how to do that, right? I did, it, I did everything I knew to do. I still didn't understand. Now, I had an opportunity there to just to quit and say, well, we just won't be on Facebook tonight, right? But it was something important that I didn't understand, and so I persevered. Let me say it another way. I endured. I, I, I kept trying. I kept doing other things. Researching it. Looking on the Internet. Are you following what I'm saying? Again, it's just a, in other words, if we don't understand, see, why is it when it comes to the things of God, if we don't understand them initially, we just, we just walk away? Man, that's the enemy behind that, right? I am so thankful for what I understand from the Scriptures tonight. But let me tell you something. There are all kinds of things in the Word of God that I don't understand. But I'm going to say what Peter said. Where else will we go? Jesus has my answers. Nobody understands these things the way He understands them. And He's willing to teach me. And He's willing to show me. He's willing to lead me and guide me into these different truths that are making such a difference in my life. And here's the thing that I pray you can say yes to tonight. If you have ever learned anything from God that's made a difference in your life, you should be so hungry and so determined to learn more. Because if a little bit has made this much difference, how much more will more of His truth, alive and active in our lives, uh, produce and make a difference in our lives? So the first group of folks are those who quit before they understood. The second group of people are those who quit before they became established. Before they became established. It takes a while to become established. When Paul and Barnabas left Antioch, they left a whole bunch of believers established in the Word. Their discipleship commitment had come to fruition and now they have literally become those who are representing Jesus to the world. They have become Christ-like. So you've got those who quit before they understood. You've got those who quit before they became established. Then you've got those who quit and never knew they did. 
That's the group right that that just gradually was a slow fade. All the other things grew up around and choked out the word that was producing results in their lives. But aren't you glad there's four categories here? And that fourth category of people are those who never quit. They never quit. Alright? They never quit. And I like to say it this way. Are you ready? They had every opportunity to quit that the other folks had. They just didn't take it. Because with great purpose of heart, they continued with the Lord. They had the desires for other things. They just didn't give in to that. They had the cares of this life, but they learned how to move beyond those things. Money was a temptation for them and to make that a priority in their lives, but they chose to make Father and seek His kingdom first the priority in their lives. I usually tell a story about Brother Kenneth Copeland. Some of you may be familiar with him. He has become a tremendous prophet in, in, the, in the body of Christ today and is literally taking the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the top of the earth to the bottom and everywhere around the middle using every available voice. He's become a clearinghouse and is a great man of God. What a lot of folks don't realize is that he used to be about 100 pounds overweight, smoking cigarettes, all kinds of issues and struggles in his life. I heard him tell a story one time about listening to a sermon on the radio and got so determined that rolled down his window and threw the pack of cigarettes out into the median, only to go back later that day, crawl around on his hands and knees to try to find them because he didn't have enough money to buy him another pack. The point being is, he had every opportunity to quit that everybody else had. He just refused to take it. He just kept on. He just kept on. If discipleship is about anything, it's about an uncommon commitment. And I believe tonight that we're going to be among those who refuse to quit. Amen? Amen. Now then, this brings me to number three. And I'll try to get as much of this in tonight as I can. We've got about 15 more minutes. Is it going by fast for you? Yes? Okay. Number three, discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us. A process intended to reveal Christ in us. Thank you, Jesus. A process intended to reveal Christ in us. Paul said to the Galatians that he continued to travail in birth, labor in birth, to see Christ formed in them. Now if he is laboring again or continuing to labor, he's talking about an extension of or continuation of labor that he had previously invested. The first labor that he had invested in the Galatians was that he went there and he preached Jesus to a group of people who had never heard of Jesus. Those people, uh, many of those people were born again, and the church at Galatia was established. But now he's writing to them after they have been born again to say that he's now laboring among them to see Christ formed in them. 
Now this does not mean that he's laboring to see them born again again. But the literal translation of that is, he's now laboring to see the inward reality of the new birth become an outward expression of life. Let me say that again. For the inward reality of the new birth to become an outward expression of life. Let me tell you, when those people at Antioch became like Jesus, they became like Jesus the day they were born of His seed. The inward reality of the new birth, they were born of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And they at that moment became a partaker of the divine nature of Christ. Are you with me? And if you've been born again in this room or listening to me online, then you also have already become like Jesus. The Bible says it this way, it does not yet appear what we shall be like, but we know this, when we stand before Him and see Him, we will be like Him because we are like Him. We are like Him because we've been born of His seed. So when we talk about discipleship, discipleship is a process that Father God has established, and that process has been established by Father God with the intention of revealing Christ in you. Amen. So the idea is that this... Oh, sweet Jesus. I tell you, I get really excited about all these classes, but the one that I, I am most... The, the one part of this I think that I get the most excited about, and it's still a few days ahead, but listen to me, please. I will, it, it just spills out of me as we go all the way through this, okay? And that is the opportunity to teach you who you are in Christ Jesus. The opportunity to see you become established in the truth of your new identity. I'm talking about who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. When you were born again, you became something you were not at that moment in time. And discipleship is about that inward reality, that new identity, who you are in Christ, what belongs to you because of who you are in Christ, your purpose and destiny in Christ, that inward reality inside of you right now becoming an outward expression of life. Amen. Amen. All right, let's try Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there with me, please. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm not going to do a lot of commenting on this verses. I'm, I'm mainly turning, asking you to turn here because I want you to see one word. We're going to read two verses for one word, all right? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 20 and 21. It says this, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. So if you underline things in your Bible, I want you to underline or circle, somehow mark that word learned. That is a very important word. The word is learned. Okay? Now, I'm going to put on the screen behind me this word learned, but what is called its Greek transliteration. Okay? In other words, the English 
spoken equivalent of this word learned from the Greek language is this word manthano. Manthano. Alright? So we're going somewhere with this, so just go with me, please. It's the word manthano. Now, these words here, uh, methetes or methetes and methetria, again, if you notice, there's a similarity with the M-A-T-H, E-T-E-S, M-A-T-H, E-T-R-I-A. Okay? These words are derivatives of this word manthano. Now, these words, methetes, methetes, and methetria, okay, they are the words that we find in our English Bible translated disciple. Okay? So we're digging in. We're digging in here. When you read the word disciple in the Bible, you're reading this word translated from the original language, methetes and methetria, which come from this word manthano. So let me give you the definition for manthano. The word manthano, also known as discipleship, means this. It means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. To put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. Okay? Now, that's the word as far as giving definition that we should understand then that if manthano is to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience, then a methetria, a female disciple, is one who puts forth an intense effort to learn by experience. A male disciple, again, is one who puts forth an intense effort to learn by experience. Now, let me show you why this is so important. Because we see that in the Greek, manthano corresponds with another word, and that word is didasko. Okay? Now, if you're, I'm, I'm trying to get to the end of this before we run out of time tonight to get this part planted. We'll come back and water it some at the beginning of class next week. But this word didasko, if we've got anybody in here that our English equivalent to this would be like something didactic, okay? Um, and so sometimes when I give you these Greek words, I'll try to, sometimes they're obvious, right? What our English equivalent is of that, or when I say equivalent, how we got these different words, um, our English words were derived from these words. Now, this is, again, let's understand the definition. Didasco is teaching for the purpose of assimilating oneself into those being taught. Didasco is teaching for the purpose of assimilating oneself into those being taught. Now, I dare say most people, if not every person that's you know, part of the class tonight, online or in the room, you were raised in a Western culture. Jesus was not raised in a Western culture. He did not grow up in a Western culture. He lived and grew up and taught and ministered in an Eastern culture. And those cultures differ on a lot of, in a lot of different ways, okay? But one of the key ways that they differ is in education. In America, you could go to school and get a four-year college degree in business and quite possibly 
Never have a professor who's ever ran a business. Think about that for a minute now. It's because we, we put so much emphasis on classroom learning. In an Eastern culture, it's not about what you learn in the classroom, it's what you learn by experience. It's what you learn by experience. So in the same way that there are different levels of learning, there are corresponding to those different levels of learning, there are different levels of teaching. In Jesus' day, and it's carried over into our day because we're part of His church, we're part of His body, we're in that same kingdom. Come on, hang on, dig in with me now. We're stretching, right? Let's, let's dig in this, and we'll, I promise we'll finish right here. Okay. In Jesus' day, we see that these two words, didasco manthano, they represented the highest possible levels of learning and the highest possible levels of teaching. In other words, if you had a teacher who was teaching you from a a a position of didasco, that teacher wasn't just trying to inform you about what he knew. He was teaching you for the purpose of assimilating. This word assimilate, think, make similar. He was teaching you for the purpose of making you similar to himself or to make you like himself. That level of teaching required a tremendous commitment on the part of the student. In other words, if the student was so blessed to have a teacher who was willing to teach from a position to try to impart himself into that student to make that student like himself, that student had to respond with, with manthano, in other words, with an intense effort to learn from this didasco-oriented professor, teacher, master, rabbi, right? So that this person who's trying to make that student like him, right, could actually experience that taking place in his life. Okay? So Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Last verse of the evening. Luke 6 and 40. A disciple, I'll need, you need to turn there because you need to mark this one. Praise God. All right. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to put a bow on this. Lord's going to help us do it in five minutes or less. You ready? All right. Now, it's going to seem like we've been all over the place tonight, but... We haven't been. We've we've been right. Just the the we've been on the same path. It's just kind of a wide path. All right. Luke chapter six and verse forty. Jesus speaking. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Who is our teacher? <laughs> right? In other words, Jesus came not just for people... He, he didn't come looking for fans. That would be one way that we, we, we could think of a, of a believer, ditto believer, right? It's someone who would be like a fan of Jesus. Somebody who admired Him. Somebody maybe had a poster of Him on the wall. Right? 
weren't really interested in making any bigger of a commitment than that, but you know, there's a, there's a fan. Maybe go hear him every now and then when he came th- to town. But we see that there were other people who made a much more intense... Man, the disciples walked away from their businesses. They walked away... Are you understand what I'm saying? To, to, to pursue and to learn from. When, when Peter is saying, we didn't really understand it either, Jesus, but where else will we go? You're teaching us in such a way as to make us like you. Jesus came to this earth to find men and women that He could assimilate Himself into. Not just forgive us for our sins. Not just fill us with the Holy Spirit. He took away your sins and He's baptized you in the Holy Spirit because all of that had to take place so that He could ultimately make you like Himself. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who will let the teacher train him perfectly, that perfectly there means completely, will let you train, if you will let him train you completely, the result of that is he will make you like himself. He will make you like him. This is the heart of what discipleship is all about. Jesus Pouring Himself into people. Jesus pouring His his love into people. Jesus pouring His wisdom into people. Jesus teaching us. Listen, again, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who puts forth an intense effort to learn by experience. This is why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He's offering you the opportunity to come alongside Him and be connected with Him and for Him to walk through life with you and you walk through life with Him and for Him to teach you what He knows. You'll never be above Him. Listen to me please. But if you let Him teach you what He knows, the result of that is you will be like Him. The inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. Now, for some of you, you may have never heard anything like this before. And that's okay. It's good. It's the first time to hear it. We planted it tonight. We'll keep watering it. I'm going to show you next week. I told you last verse, so I'm going to be a man of my word. All right? I got two minutes, though. Okay? Two minutes. I'm going to show you in Scripture next week where the Bible says, Remember that purpose and grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus before time began? Where we started tonight? Do you know that before Father God ever created a single one of us, He had already predetermined that we would be conformed into the image of His Son? You were created by God to be like Jesus. This is why the Bible says that He loves you with the same love that He loves Jesus with. You want to know how much, Jesus, how much Father loves you tonight? He loves you as much as He loves Jesus tonight. Amen. Amen. And He created you to be conformed into His Son. If I was going to share another verse with you tonight, I would have shared the verse with you that says, As He is, so are we in this world. Amen. You get anything out of this? Can I pray for you? Father, thank You so much for these beautiful men and women tonight. Thank You, Father, for the power that resides in Your Word. 
Father, Your Word contains the power of salvation and Your Word contains the power to renew and recondition and restructure and reprogram, Father, our minds to think, Lord, the way You intended for us to think when You created us, Father. And I thank You, Lord, for every person that's been a part of this class tonight. I thank You, Father, that the Word that has come forth in this room, Lord, has found its way into the fertile soil of men's and women's hearts. And Father, it's taking root, it's putting down roots, and it's beginning to produce fruits, Lord, in their lives, both for them to enjoy, for others to enjoy, and Father, for You to be glorified by. And so we thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. And amen. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. If you haven't turned in your registration form, please do so so we can get you on the roll for next week. Amen. Good things coming.